Blog Talk Radio. Hi, and thanks for listening to the Big Time Talker podcast on the Blog Talk Radio Network. Burke Allen here from Washington, D.C., and our number, if you'd like to be a part of the show, is 516-418-5635. 516-418-5635. We're talking money today, specifically Las Vegas money. And the documentary filmmaker Ram Dennison joins us to talk about his new film, Money Machine, uh, if you'd also like to send us a chat message, we'd love to hear from you that way as well. And uh, the Big Time Talker podcast brought to you by our friends at SpeakerMatch.com, the United States' largest online speakers bureau. If you are a meeting planner or if you're a speaker um, and you want to get together and, and see what's out there, then log on to SpeakerMatch.com. And they're also helpful with the virtual speaking world, which is the, the new way of doing things. That's SpeakerMatch.com. Proud to power the Big Time Talker podcast. All right, let's bring Ram Dennison into the program today. His new documentary is Money Machine, and the accolades are pouring in from the money like, uh, well, like coins used to pour into the slots there in Las Vegas <laughs> until the pandemic. Hey, Ram, how you doing, buddy? Good. I'm, I'm, thanks for having me on today. Oh, you're very welcome. Um, the the film is fantastic. I, I told you before we started Thank the show. You. Oh, you're welcome. I had a chance to to see it and. And, you know, if, if you're an author, you want to have a page turner. I guess if you're a, a, docu- a documentary filmmaker, you want to have people glued to the story. And your story is, is pretty amazing. There's a, a link, by the Thank way, you. to the trailer um, on the uh, homepage for the Big Time Talker podcast, if you'd like to take a look at it. Um, the movie uses the as a jumping off point that horrible mass shooting that happened there in 2017 at the Country Music Festival um, but it's really, you know, that's, that's just a part and parcel of, of the whole premise of this, this film, uh, in Las Vegas and money. And I'm curious as to what got you interested in, in the entire thing. Well, you know, um, I'll never forget my first trip to Vegas. Um, you know, it was back in 2004 when I first kind of came into Vegas. And um, I remember driving in and I pulled over to like a 7-Eleven to get a cup of coffee. And um, the first thing I ever saw in Vegas was this girl. Her like mascara was all smudged. She had a suitcase. She was just like outside of 7-Eleven, looked like she'd been crying. And she was just kind of really desperate and um, looked like she'd just been beaten up or something. I mean, um, and and I never forgot that image. That was the first image I ever saw of Vegas. And um it's just the kind of like the sad sadness and desperation beneath all the glitz, um, you know, and, and, you know, I just kind of went in at Seven Eleven and got my cup of coffee that day and didn't, um, you know, didn't really do anything um, about that. Like in terms of like starting to make a film about it at that time, but I never forgot that image. And, um, you know, as the years passed, um, I, I got more and more fascinated by the kind of the, the glitter on the surface and the darkness below. Um, and, and which is something I like to, so, so that's really kind of the answer to the question is I, I just, I find Vegas fascinating in that respect. It's so, um, I mean, it's presented as this neon, you know, adult paradise, but the greed underneath it is a pretty ugly thing. 
Money you Machine know. is the new documentary film from Ram Dennison. We're talking to the filmmaker today. And um, this movie really gets some amazing interview um, uh, footage uh, in regards to that, that mass shooting. Uh, that was October of 2017. Is that right? When Stephen Paddock uh, yeah, shot all the first. Yeah, it was October first. And, and and was that uh, that incident what what put you over the top in in terms of actually you know uh, getting your camera out and and saying you know I really wanted to document what happened there or, or you know what was it that uh, about that event that that really drew you well, in? Well. Well, so actually I'd made a previous film about Vegas called What Happened in Vegas. And that, that was about police corruption in Las Vegas. Um, and that, that film had some very surprising and unexpected consequences. Um, now, the movie was really a, a pretty harrowing takedown of the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department, um, which I would say is widely considered to be one of the most corrupt police departments in America. I mean, like just in the last year alone, they, they, I mean, I can't, I've lost count of how many officers in that department have, um, you know, got criminal charges brought against them, um, you know, some for murder, some for, and so, so I made a, my first film was about that, and I was quite certain that um, after that film came out, I was, um, you know, my days of going to Las Vegas were going to be uh, numbered because the movie was kind of a, um, an expose, but what happened, sure. which, I, which I never would have seen, um, or anticipated was that actually a lot of people became champions of the film, even within the LVMPD, um, because they understood that I was kind of pointing to the corruption and they wanted the corruption gone too. And here, here came someone along to expose it. So what actually happened after what happened in Vegas, which came out in 2017. Um, so right around the time that this, this next thing happened um, was that a lot of former officers on the department on, um, actually started reaching out to me um, to talk to, to tell me what was really going on with the one October mass shooting. Um, not what the LVMPD was presenting it as, but they told me what, and, and they were hearing it directly from people currently active in the department. So as you see it from the film, we have retired LVMPD officers featured in the film and they were really the, the key to getting me that access. Cause um, you know, right after Stephen Paddock did this and right after the press conferences and everything, while that was happening, they were calling me and saying, hey, listen, what Joe Lombardo is saying here isn't true. This is what's really going on. I, I, I have that straight from active lieutenants in the department. And so that's really what got me back out to Vegas to kind of, um, you know, so from the first film, I kind of understood what a fundamentally dishonest police department they were. And then when I really kind of um, started getting those tips, that, so that, that's really how it all began rolling is just from officers in the department themselves um, or retired officers who were communicating with current officers. Documentary filmmaker Ram Dennison, our guest today, the movie is Money Machine, the number 516-418-5635. Uh, for our listeners that may not be as familiar with this story, and, and amazingly it did very much disappear from the public consciousness within a few days uh, take us back to that that October 2017 shooting and what happened uh, outside the Mandalay Bay. So on October 1st, 2017, um, Stephen Paddock um, opened fire from the 32nd floor of Mandalay Bay on a crowd of around 22,000 people at the Route 91 Festival, which is a country music festival in Vegas. Um, and it wounded over 400 people. It killed 58. And then... The, the shooting lasted 
approximately 11 minutes, 11, you know, so 11 minutes of firing a gun into a crowd of 22,000 people, you can do a lot of damage. And he did a lot of damage. Um, and so that's really where the film starts. And then it kind of shows, um, you know, just th- what it really does a lot of is it kind of delves into um, the kind of smoke screen of Vegas and how MGM kind of deflected responsibility for this and even tried to sue the victims. And also MGM used their massive resources and power to kind of um, try to hide the fact that they were, that, you know, there were things that they did that kind of helped drive Stephen Paddock to do this. Um, And so that's one of the things, you know, people say Stephen Paddock's a monster and I agree he is a monster. I mean, what he did is unforgivable, um, but there's reasons why he did it. And the Vegas money machine did a good job of hiding those reasons from the public um, because obviously MGM um, would not want to make it look like their actions led this guy to kill 58 people. But um, the reality is that there's uh, a lot of evidence that suggests that that was the case. You know, you said a lot there to unpack, but one of the things I do want to touch on is, is your assertion that, that MGM, sued the victims and and that that makes you cock your eyebrow a little bit so tell me about that what happened there so i'll never forget reading you know seeing that headline mgm is suing the victims of the mass shooting and and that i believe happened in 2018 um and so what was going on was that um a lot of victims were filing lawsuits against manley bay or against mgm who owns manley bay and so you know, and I'm not a lawyer, so I don't 100% understand it from this perspective. But so, so MGM sued them right back. So, um, and they, and on the, in this lawsuit, they even named like six-year-old children of people. <laughs> so, you know, not, not that those six-year-olds were directly injured in the attack, but on, on the brief, you know, when I went through the legal brief with, with my friend who was a lawyer, we saw that they, they sued children of people who died that night. And, and they, um, so it was just kind of a stunning development. Um, I think everybody was surprised, and I don't know if you remember the headlines on this, um, but that, that really it, it really tells you a lot about who they really are when they when they do something like that. And, and I'm sorry, what did MGM sue them for? What did they want from the victims? So here's the thing: there's a um, obscure law that was brought on the books right after 9/11 called the Safety Act. And um, the Safety Act basically mandates that um, if, you know, in a public event, if, if they have security that's part of, that's been certified by the Department of Homeland Security, then they cannot be held liable for the attack. So they were, their, MGM's lawsuit was hinged on the Safety Act. Um, and so the, you know, if you read, read the legal brief, they'll say that this was not the responsibility of MGM. There were two people that caused, you know, the person who caused who was at fault here was Stephen Paddock, and um, and then I think they also tried to put it on some of the people at the venue or something like that. But so it was basically a legal distancing strategy um, on MGM's part um, by using the Safety Act, which is an act that nobody. So that was kind of unprecedented. This this nobody's ever really used the Safety Act on a scale like this before in a lawsuit. The film is Money Machine. The documentary filmmaker Ram Dennison is our guest today. And the movie opens with a very harrowing sequence as hundreds of people are wounded. 58 people are killed in uh, this huge mass shooting in Las Vegas. 
And, and Ram, I didn't have an opportunity to tell you before uh, we started the broadcast today, but when I lived and worked in Las Vegas, uh, worked for CBS radio there, I was actually at Mandalay Bay uh, for their VIP grand opening. I was there the night the ribbon was cut. Oh, wow. The Blues Brothers played uh, House of Blues, and I was, uh, you know, at the after party with Dan Aykroyd and, uh, and Jim Belushi <laughs> wow. and John Landis. And so I know that property very, very well and, and have been back to Las Vegas for speaking engagements and, and uh, conferences many, many times since then. Um, and, it, and it just took my breath away uh, at first, of course, when this happened, because I felt so deeply for the residents of Las Vegas who so desperately when I lived there wanted a sense of community um, because everybody is from somewhere else. So to think of all of those right. folks, over 20,000 locals and a few tourists uh, at this country music festival, you know, just looking for a sense of community that's happened. So, so my heart went out to them, but then almost immediately I was struck by how quickly the story disappeared from the national consciousness and how there just didn't seem to be a whole lot of looking into Stephen Paddock, the shooter and his motivations. And I think your documentary really shines a light on that, but I I wonder if you could expand on that because you got some pretty amazing background there, including an interview uh, with Stephen Paddock's brother who I had never seen uh, interviewed anywhere before. Yeah. So one of the fascinating things about Vegas, um, you know, and everybody knows that, you know, that Vegas makes a lot of money with gambling. Um, but what a lot of people don't know is the massive power machine behind that money. Um, you know, when you go to Las Vegas um, and you check into a room, there's, and you see that chart, that resort fee, that like, that charge of like 20 or 25 or $30 on your bill. And it says resort fee. And you go, what is that? Well, what that resort fee is, is that goes to an entity known, part of that goes to an entity known as the Las Vegas Convention and Visitors Authority, um, which is this massive PR machine in Vegas. Um, They have a budget of hundreds of millions a year that's funded mostly by those resort fees. And so they're the ones who created the What Happens in Vegas Stays in Vegas campaign, and they're one of the most powerful entities in America because they sprinkle money all over um, advertising Vegas. So when you spend millions and millions of dollars on advertising year after year with companies and you say to them, listen, we'd kind of like, you know, we gave you $50 million advertising last year and we'd kind of like it if, um, you know, if you wouldn't, if you could help us make this story go away, um, then, then I, I do believe that's a big part of why, you know, the deadliest mass shooting in American history became one of the most quickly forgotten is because of the, the power of the LVCVA and that money machine. And I don't think most people realize that when they come to Vegas and stay in a room, they're kind of paying for Vegas to publicize itself is essentially what's going on. And so um, it's really the, the, the money, behind, money and power behind um, the LVCVA that I believe led to this story going away so fast. What did you learn as you looked into Stephen Paddock and, and his background and his past? And also, what did you learn from that, that exclusive interview with his brother? Um, what I learned was that Stephen Paddock was not particularly noteworthy in any real reg- I mean, I mean, he, was, he really was, seemed to be a pretty regular guy. Um, like, even his ex-wife didn't have a lot of negative things to say about him. There, there were no stories about him beating her up. There were no stories of him, um, 
you know, getting arrested or partaking in shady activities. He was kind of a, a loner, um, according to his brother. And he was uh, somebody that um, nobody would have expected this would happen to. Um, but I also learned that he was a guy who, one of the things that he really enjoyed were the, those perks in the casino. You know, he, he, he clearly enjoyed the like high roller lifestyle. And, um, and one of the things I was able to learn from his brother was how MGM started to peel that away from him. Um, you know, how, 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 how they eventually helped part Steven Paddock with his, with his money and how that likely led to um, the event of one October. It seemed like in the film uh, that that they were really jerking the guy around, and um, you yeah. know it, it has become common practice, I guess, for uh, for these perks to be offered up, and then you get to the hotel and you find out, hey, not only are those perks not there, but you're going to have to pay extra money when you get there. And and one of the theories I think that you put forward in the film is that that happened to him one too many times and, and sent the guy yeah. over the edge. Absolutely. How you, and um, how did you track his sorry. brother down? I'm, I'm curious as to how you found him and how you got him to talk. That was actually the work of our excellent um, associate producer, Mike Turber, who's a bulldog. And um, he's actually 100% responsible for getting Eric Paddock on board. He was the one who reached out to him. And, and to be honest with you, it took months to get him um, to come on with us. Um, and it was really only, um, Eric Paddock's relationship with Mike Turber that allowed us to do that. So um, Mike's a really talented guy, has um, a lot of computer skills. And so he was able to use those skills to find his contact information and get in touch and kind of form a bond with Eric. And so that's kind of how that happened. What's, what's and, that, your and it was really guess? when we started talking to Eric Paddock that we really started to see the real story of what had happened. Well, he said lots of things that, that I think had never come out in in the media, at least in anything that I saw, um, and and I know you're not a, a psychologist, you're a psychiatrist, Ram. But what is your sense as to what caused Stephen Paddock to do this? If you were to to say, look, here's here's why I think this guy snapped and and killed all those people. The reason would be what? Well, I think he wanted to do the one thing that would hurt Vegas, and and, and I think he did that. Um, you know, and that's something that nobody wants to acknowledge, you know, the, the MGM and everybody, you know, the despicable act of this madman. And, and yes, it was a despicable act. I agree with that. But what do you call suing victims of a mass shooting? You know, what do you call MGM's fundamentally dishonest behavior in um, kind of deceiving these high rollers about perks? And um, yeah, I mean, Stephen Paddock was a monster, but what are you guys, you know, you're not. And, and I think, um, MGM has a lot of money and power and they were kind of able to hide behind that smoke screen. Um, and, 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 and nobody ever really was able to dig, dig out like why, you know, what drove Stephen Paddock to do this and it went away in such a hurry. But um, so I think that he was driven to do it by, um, I mean, think of what you could do to actually hurt a casino. There's not many things you could do. I mean, what are you going to do? Get on Yelp and write some bad reviews. No one will care, <laughs> you know, like, right. Sure. You know, somebody, yeah, you can't really do much to her. I mean, casinos are so big and powerful, but so I think Paddock wanted to, and I think he also wanted to do it in such a way that they were held legally liable for it. So, um, I mean, what kind of, it's a sick plan. It, it should have never happened, but, but um, it did, you know, and I, but, and I also think there were some breaches in security there that allowed him to do this. And that incompetence was also hidden from the public, the incompetence on both 
the LVMPD's part in protecting these people and also Mandalay Bay security. Yeah, there was a, an unbelievable sequence in, in your documentary where um, he was able to get all those weapons right up to his room on a service elevator, and it was never right. checked. Um, Rand yeah. Dennison is our guest, by the way. The, the film is Money Machine. It's a new documentary, and you can see the trailer on our Big Time Talker podcast and this outstanding article about it on Forbes.com. Um, I, I want to get into something else that, that's happened uh, much more recently. And you talked about, you know, what could, what could really hurt casinos. There's not a lot, but a global pandemic could. Um, oh, and yeah. then so could the comments of the mayor of Las Vegas. Uh, and, and boy, did she have them in a long <laughs> and cringeworthy interview with, with CNN's Anderson Cooper uh, earlier this week. Did you see it? And what were your thoughts? Oh yeah. My thoughts were that, this woman's finally being exposed as what she really is, which is a, a fraud who doesn't care about people and doesn't care about anything except protecting the money. Um, and, you know, and Carolyn Goodman, people have to understand how this woman even came to be mayor. Um, and having lived in Vegas, you probably know that her husband, Oscar Goodman, was the previous mayor of Vegas. And Oscar Goodman was a former mob attorney. So this, this guy made his living getting killers off the hook um, basically for years. I mean, he, he um, defended people like, uh, you know, the guy that um, in casino, Tony Spilatro, um, you know, who, who Joe Pesci in casino is based on. Um, and so, you know, and so, uh, you know, that, that's what her, so Oscar Goodman was the mayor for many years in Vegas and he reached his term limits and, and wasn't able to run anymore. So what they do, they just stuck his wife in there. And um, anybody who knows how Vegas works is basically the casinos buy the campaigns for people. Um, you know, and when you're the picked person, you become that, you get all that money and, and everyone else gets pretty much none of it. So if you look in the last mayor election, the amounts donated to Carolyn Goodman as opposed to everybody else running, were like staggering. I mean, it's like they, she gets hundreds of thousands and nobody else gets anything from the casinos. So they really kind of, it shows you how the casinos control everything in town. And, and frankly, also, um, Carolyn Goodman had no business being mayor in the first place. I mean, this is, you know, she, this isn't somebody who, who'd done her time on a, on a, count, a, you know, a city commission or, or worked her way up in politics or whatever. I mean, this is a woman who had zero political experience and all of a sudden she's the mayor and um, it just, you know, and, and since she's been the mayor, um, basically the attitude is the same. It's just money, 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 cash, 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 you know, and meanwhile, Vegas, you have, has one of the most corrupt police departments in America. You've got a corrupt DA. Um, you've got, um, an ed public education system that consistently ranks in the bottom 10, you know, the bottom 10 in the nation in terms of public schools. And, you know, what has Carolyn Goodman done about this? Nothing. But what she has done is just keep the registers ringing. And, and, um, and that's really all that matters to, to her. And, and I think we saw that in that embarrassing interview and where she was exposed for what she really is, which is a protector of money and um, somebody who, who, in fact, doesn't give a damn about the people of Las Vegas. Filmmaker Ram Dennison, the guest on the Big Time Talker podcast, powered by Speaker Match. Now, th there would be folks on the other side of this, Ram. We would say, well, look, of course, uh, you know, Las Vegas is all about money, and they don't build those big casinos on the backs of winners. Right. 
you know, I, I'm assuming you're not saying that, that you think it's wrong for casinos to make money or for any business to make money. So if you're not saying that, you know, what exactly is the crime here? Um, yeah, no, I'm not saying that at all. Listen, we're all, everybody's in business. Everybody has to make money. But when money is the only thing that matters, you know, when money is, is so important that you want to open up casinos and, and, and risk tourists coming from all over the country, um, risk them dying because of, uh, you know, so that you can get the registers ring again, that's wrong. And I think Vegas is an example of what happens when a city only cares about money, when a city doesn't care about education and doesn't care about um, their police force. And, and so I think, um, yes, you're right. Money is important. We all have to make money. But, but um, when money is the only thing that matters, you have a situation like you have in Las Vegas where you've got rampant corruption and um, some of the most, um, gosh, I'm not quite sure how to put it in terms of their politicians, um, <laughs> but just people. <laughs> I mean, you really couldn't make these people up. Um, you know, and Karen, Karen Goodman is just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, if you start looking into the other politicians that run Vegas, um, these people do all they really do effectively is protect the money. Um, so, so no, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with making money, but um, there's definitely something wrong when that's all you care about. We've got and a couple of questions it, it, in our uh, chat room here that I want to. Yeah, sure. No, no, I was going to say we have a couple of questions in our chat room. I want to make sure that we get to those sure. before we run completely out of time. Yep. One is from Kevin, who's listening in Boise, Idaho today, and he wants to know about the rumor that there were multiple shooters in different casinos the night of the Stephen Paddock shooting. And you touch on that a little bit in Money Machine. What did you learn about, about all that? Well, that was a very fascinating and complex issue, and um, it took us a long time to really get down to the truth of that because the LVMPD kept stalling the release of the body cam footage from that night. And so that, that's one of the reasons it took a while to release the film is because we had to get our hands on that footage. But, you know, in the film, we really kind of dive into that. And what, and we also show in the film that, you know, we were able to get uncut footage, surveillance footage of the route 91 concert from like six different angles um, at that night. And we couldn't find any evidence, you know, from, from the whole concert up into the morning and we couldn't see any evidence that there was multiple shooters. And then we also had um, Dr. Rob Maher, who's a forensic audio expert. He did, he analyzed um, the audio from the shooting and, and was not able to find any evidence of multiple shooters. So um, it, it, it's a very interesting theory, but the problem is there, there really isn't any, I think we have to go by evidence and there just wasn't, there, there isn't really anything that, um, showed up that makes you go oh it, there had to have been multiple shooters um i mean that so that's that's something we, we we dive into that more in the film but um I, i'll be honest with you originally i thought there were multiple shooters um until we got all the footage and until we started talking to true experts in the audio forensic field you know um but and it's easy to see how people could think that happened because one of the things that was happening is that gunfire was ricocheting so you have all those hard surfaces in Vegas, all that glass, all that concrete. So when you fire a gun, it bounces off those hard surfaces and reverberates, and it, it can sound like multiple gunshots. Um, and so there was a lot of that going on as well. And also there was chaos. There was people running around with blood on them. There's a shooter over there. There's a shoot, you know. So um, I think a lot of it was just a function of the chaos of that night. There was a very harrowing sequence in, in your film Money Machine. Um, where one of the, the ladies you interviewed, who, as memory serves me, was an attorney who was there 
for the concert and uh, was just right in the middle of it and was covered in blood. And when she finally made it back to her hotel, she sort of goes up the escalator and just looks like someone who is, is come out of a war zone. And, and I wonder if an awful lot of those 22,000 people that came pouring out of there got back to their hotels and looked essentially like zombies walking into their hotels. Uh, and, and people thought it was happening at that property when in fact, many of them had been, uh, at the uh, the country music festival. Here's another question, and this is from Kimberly in Columbus, Ohio. She wants to know um, what the outcome was of the Vegas Strong campaign. Right. So one of the things that we also really dive into in Money Machine is, um, you know, when one October happened, um, it was a tragedy. But I think a lot of the politicians saw it as an opportunity because it was getting worldwide coverage, and so you had. Um, the politicians kind of grandstanding and using this chance in a national spotlight, even the whole world spotlight for their own means. And one of those things that came about was Vegas strong, you know, hashtag Vegas strong, um, which was a campaign that a lot of people donated to started by Steve Sisolak and Joe Lombardo, the, the, um, you know, who's running for reelection and, and um, Steve Sisolak, was a county commissioner who was very ambitiously trying to become the, the governor of Nevada. Um, and what she eventually was able to do, mostly on the, um, because of Vegas Strong and the publicity he got from that, but the unfortunate result of Vegas Strong was that, um, you know, Steve Sisolak was too busy jumping in front of cameras and getting himself FaceTime to make sure that the money was actually getting to the victims in a timely manner. So, um, the most important thing when something like this happens is that the money gets to the victims in a timely manner, because these are people who are not rich, who um, are injured, and they need that money to cover their rent, to cover their car payments. And through the first five months of Vegas Strong, um, less than $20,000 of the over $10 million raise was actually made its way to the victims. And over a year later, you can still find people who hadn't gotten a cent from Vegas Strong. You can also find people who were told they were going to get a certain amount of money and didn't get that full amount. So it, um, it became something that was kind of a show. It was kind of another Vegas show. And what it was really about was getting um, Steve Sisolak his FaceTime and, and so he could jump in front of cameras. And um, it, it was really kind of sad how that money – you know, and still to this day, there are not hardcore records about how that money was dispersed. Now, you, you'll talk to some people who will say that they eventually did get the money, but, you know, there, there hasn't really been a thorough accounting that I know of or that's been released publicly of how much went to each person. Um, so, so that whole situation was really kind of a debacle and um, kind of symptomatic of the, of the greed of the people running it. When you do a film like this, does it make you nervous, Ram, to, to go back to Las Vegas? Do you, do you go, gee oh, yeah. whiz, if the police ever see me out on the street, I'm in big trouble? Yeah, I mean, it does. You know, and, and it's, um, I think I probably could only made the film because I don't live in Vegas. I mean, geez, if I lived there, um, you know, and especially when you're making a film that's actually going to get widespread, you know, it's one thing to make a little YouTube video calling out the police, but when you make something that's going to be, on iTunes and on TV and all this stuff, and you're exposing that department. Um, yeah, you got you got something to worry about. Um, I'll, so what I do, I mean, when I go to Vegas, I always have uh, you know my GoPros hooked up to my body, um, and I just turn them on and make sure they're going. And and um, just you know, I feel like it's um, 
kind of exposure and, and um, filming things actually becomes your, your friend when you're doing something like exposing corruption, because I do think they're less likely to mess with you when you're, um, you know, kind of when they know that you've got cameras running, you know, that's my sense. theory. Anyway, I could, I could be wrong. Well, <laughs> but, uh, let's, let's hope that you're right. And that we can have you back on the yeah. show when the movie is out in uh, on all the digital distribution platforms. Uh, one last question for you, and, and this comes from my living out there. At a time when the the old mob-run casinos were making way for the new corporate uh, casinos, there's some people who, who opine that, that it was actually a safer city and a more hospitable city um, oh, yeah. in the old days when the mob ran it than it is with the, these major corporations. And I wonder if you have any any thoughts, any feedback on that. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, you talk, you go to Las Vegas and talk to the people who lived there their whole lives. They tell you that Vegas was a much better place when the mob ran it. Um, it was a more generous place. Um, and the crime rate was a lot lower. Um, the mob didn't, one thing that's really interesting about the mob is that they did not like crimes being committed in their own backyard. So, um, because they didn't want to do anything that, that drew the feds there. So, um, you know, the Vegas of the 60s and 70s was a pretty safe place. Not a lot of crime. But the other thing about the mob is just that, that they were just plain generous when they ran the casinos. I mean, when you went to those casinos, you were treated like a king. You know, here's show tickets. Here's a free room. Here's a, and granted, that was all to get your money. But at least they um, – were generous and you know obviously they have the same end goal as the corporations which is to ultimately get your money but they were just more generous and hospitable about it and um, and i think the mob when the mob ran things they did a, a good job of protecting the town and and they and, but i think the key thing is they cared about a little more than just money um you know like like i said they made sure that um vegas was you know, people knew if they committed crimes in Vegas that the mob wasn't going to like it. So, it, it, but just you look at the crime stats, the number of burglaries and things of that nature back in the '60s or '70s, um, they were a fraction of what they are now in Vegas, which is overrun with crime. Hey, Ram, if people want to see your movie out. Money Machine, how can they how can they find it? Well, the movie isn't. Um, Actually, if you live in Ohio, like that one listener, it's part of the Cleveland International Film Festival right now. So if you're in Ohio, you can um, you can stream the film right now as part of the Cleveland International Film Festival. Just look up Cleveland International Film Festival and Money Machine. Um, but everyone else will have to wait a little longer um, until the pandemic goes down a little bit. You know, we were originally supposed to launch the movie at three film festivals in April and a bunch more coming up. But uh, now we're just kind of waiting to see – um, where this thing's going to go, you know, like, like if those, if this, um, the COVID-19 situation is going to get under control so we can, um, start taking the movie all around the country. And if not, it is possible that we'll be able to see it online and digital distribution platforms at some point, yes. like I Apple mean, iTunes yes. and all that. It, it, like in like months from now. Yes. It'll, it'll definitely be, um, all over the traditional platforms, you know, Amazon, iTunes, et cetera, probably be on television as well. But for the time being, um, you've you got to be in Ohio to see it. <laughs> but, but that'll change. Fair enough. If you want to find out more about Money Machine, you can log on to our Big Time Talker podcast and check out the excellent article about the documentary from Forbes.com. Ram Dennison, it's a fascinating movie. I found it uh, disturbing and yet highly entertaining. You're welcome. Thanks for being on the Big Time Talker podcast. Appreciate it.
Thanks. I'd love hey, to come bet. back. Appreciate it. We'd love to have you back. Ram Dennison, our guest today, the movie is Money Machine. And if, uh, if you like what you hear, tell your friends and subscribe to the Big Time Talker podcast uh, on Apple iTunes, on Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. Thanks to our sponsor, SpeakerMatch.com, the United States' largest online virtual speakers bureau. I'm Burke Allen in Washington, D.C. Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Bye, everybody.